You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Well, happy 4th of July weekend. I've got as much red, white, and blue on as I could possibly find in my wardrobe. I knew these jeans would come in handy someday. These are, in fact, jeans. Did you know that? What a time to be alive, right? What a time to be alive. Uh, Hey, some of you came early. That was smart because you got brunch already, and then you're going to stay after for lunch. So... Great job. There's a one-hour difference there, but I think that counts. You can eat again. It's it's totally fine. Thank you, beautiful. Appreciate it. Oh, man, parched. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, after service, uh, we're having some hot dogs, and there's chips and bomb pops. Does anybody remember bomb pops, the popsicles, the red, white, and blue ones that look like a little firework or whatever? Takes you back to the 90s, doesn't it? It's like, I'm at the city pool listening to boys to men. <laughs> you didn't listen to that, though. You were good Christians, but I was listening to boys to men. Uh, we are in a teaching series called Summer Road Trip. Glad you're with us. My name is Mike, uh, lead pastor. Those of you watching online, hi, Aunt Linda. Uh, glad that you're tuning in all the way over in, in Ohio. Um, we are following along with Paul through the book of Acts as he shares what God has done in his life and how everybody on the planet Earth can now get in it. That is essentially what Paul is doing as he travels. So whether you are an every week attender of our church, whether it's the first time you've tuned in or you've like never been to church in your entire life, you're in the right place. Uh, we're really, really glad that you're here. Um, before we open up the Bible, though, it is a new month, which means you have a new printed bulletin. Hopefully you got one of those on the way in. You could stick it in your Bible or on your fridge or, you know, wherever you could find it when you inevitably forget everything I'm about to say. Uh, you need to store that thing. But uh, if you lose that, remember, we have a digital app now um, uh, called Church Center. Uh, if you download the Church Center app, it'll, it'll look like you see the little picture on the screen here. Select our church and, and put your info in there. It, it'll open up to uh, your kind of customized homepage. Almost everything you see in the bulletin is on there except for a, a few things. But you can get to the um, you know, online giving. You can request prayer. Uh, today's Bible notes, uh, message notes are in there. Um, if you're new with us, by the way, if, if, you're, if it's your first time here and you want to connect a little more, there's a little I'm new here button. You just click on that and tell us a little bit about yourself or you can stop down at the connection point uh, by kids check-in. But lots of stuff on there. So if you haven't downloaded the app, uh, I would encourage you to do that. One of the things you can do right from the app is if you click on upcoming events, it will take you to register for Vacation Bible School. Uh, we've got VBS, as it's known, in, in the church world coming up July uh, 18th through the 21st. And so click on upcoming events, it'll take you that way. Or if you don't want to do the app because you're just one of those people who's like, I'm not downloading another app on my phone. I don't care what that pastor said. Uh, church slash events. Same thing. It'll take you to the same place. Click on this logo that you see on the screen and uh, register your kids, your grandkids, your cousins, your neighbor kids. The kids a block over that they don't even know you're registering them but you're going to register them, and then they're going to get an email, and the mom's going to be like, apparently we signed our kids up for, like, vacation Bible school. We've got to go. We signed up for it, right? So um, some of you are like, that's lying. No, it's not. It's just, I don't know. Okay, Uh, so this is coming up. This is a huge event, uh, always is for our church, and we want every kid to come and join us. If you'd like to volunteer for that, there's a huge sign-up down there by the kids' check-in area. You can't miss it. If you walk by it, it's like you just were not looking for it, okay? Uh, you, could, you could throw your name on there or talk to Kurt and Brenda and see how, how you can get involved, okay? Um, there's some other stuff in your bulletin, including, including a pretty big announcement about our, our nursery, and there's a worship night coming up. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happening, so uh, make sure you read through that. 
But if you've got a Bible, let's, let's get them open, okay? Acts chapter 15 is where we're at today, where we're going to start at least. And again, if you're using that Bible app, click on events, and um, you'll find our church, and you'll be able to track kind of right along with me and all the scriptures and notes and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I, I actually went on a bit of a summer road trip myself this last week. Uh, myself and Pastor Kurt and Chris and Gina Schlievert represented our church at uh, what, what is known as District Conference. It's in Rapid City, South Dakota. It's something we have to go to every year. Um, I'm here to report that Mount Rushmore is still there. Uh, this is like, I don't even know, my ninth trip, I think, to Rapid City. I didn't go this time. I threw Chris and Gina the keys, but uh, they are trustworthy witnesses. They did, in fact, tell me that Rushmore is still there. Um, but, you know, thinking about this series and all of Paul went through made me extremely grateful for the amenities of modern travel, like how much easier and nicer it is now. I mean, we complain uh, a lot, actually, about travel in this country. Woo, um, there we go. Um, I don't, like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I got in the, 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 to the airport and, and on the plane, and like, flyers are some of the grumpiest people on the planet. Like, everybody's mad, everybody's complaining, about something, you know, oh, there's not enough leg room anymore in these planes, and they, you know, they've cut down on the snacks. I remember in my day, they used to serve us a steak dinner, you know, and I hear all of these complaints or whatever. The Rapid City Airport might have the worst coffee in the world. I, like, it, it was really bad, okay? But then I read Paul's journeys, and I think about what it must have been like to travel around in the first century. I mean, we have this picture of the bus on our screen. Like, he didn't have one of those, uh, he, he is sailing through dangerous waters. A lot of people would lose their life sailing back then. Uh, on the roads he's traveling, there are bandits everywhere looking to sabotage you and jump out and take all your stuff. Uh, lots of disease. He almost died like three times. Okay, so when I read through Paul's story, suddenly the fact that Delta didn't have, have pretzels anymore <laughs> doesn't feel like a big deal. It's like, let it go, Mike. Uh, we've, we've got it really good. We, we really do. Um, and so if you've missed last week, chapter 15 is a pivotal moment in the book of Acts, particularly in Paul's journey. So if you didn't, didn't catch that, go back and listen to that on our website or on YouTube. But essentially, the church calls a conference, okay, a, a council in Jerusalem to decide this question. How Jewish must non-Jews live? That is what, that is what they're wrestling with. And they debate that for a little bit. Some people stand up and speak to it. And I'm assuming some people spoke against it, but we don't really get that in the Bible. Uh, But after some debate, they decide, and this is kind of their their mission statement or their, their bottom line, we should not make it any more difficult for people who are turning to God. And with that as their heart, they decide that non Jews, Gentiles, should not have to be circumcised to be followers of Jesus. That was a pretty big obstacle for people. They do send a letter back, though, with Paul and Barnabas to those churches, uh, explaining that there are that decision, but also that there are a few stipulations. There are things they do need to do. Remember, lowering the bar doesn't mean there isn't any bar. Okay, and so um, there's a couple things to avoid, like foods connected to idolatry uh, and sexual immorality. Those were kind of the big two. They said, if you want to be a part of this movement, you've still got to follow those rules. And so that is how the Jerusalem Council solved this, or resolved really, this brewing conflict between Jews and non-Jews. Now it's Paul and Barnabas's turn. Okay, they've got conflict. They are at odds with one another. And unfortunately, they do not resolve it well. Okay, Acts 15, this is kind of the end of the chapter, verse 36. So sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Right, so this is the start of the second leg of the journey. They wanna go back and see all those churches we started. Like, how are those people faring? Are they being led well? Are they still following Christ? Like, let's, let's check in on them. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches." 
So you might remember where this conflict began uh, a few weeks ago in the start of our series, Acts chapter 13. John Mark actually goes with Paul and Barnabas. They get to one stop. Paul says, hey, we're going to head north. We're going to push into some new territory. And, and he leaves. John Mark bails on them. We, don't, we aren't told why, but he's separate. He goes back home. And now they're about to launch out on the second leg of the journey. And Barnabas is like, you know, we should give John Mark another chance. He's a good guy. You know, he just maybe made a mistake or I don't know. We don't get his argument, but he's, his, his argument is we should, we should take him with us. And Paul's like, nope, no way. Um, the Bible says they have a, this is the wording, sharp disagreement. Right? That is kind of a way to gloss over how bad this is, right? This is why, like when you and your spouse are really at it, at each other's throats and you're arguing. I mean, none of you do that, but like in my house, like when Cassie and I are arguing and one of your kids hears it and they come downstairs, they're like, mommy and daddy, why are you fighting? You're like, oh, honey, we're not, we're not fighting. Uh, we're just talking loudly at each other. Right? We're just having a little disagreement. That, that's kind of the way the English reads here. The, the Greek word is this word uh, paroxamos, which is only used twice in the New Testament, twice in the whole Bible. And it carries with it this sense of irritation, like angry at each other. This is not just like, ah, we're going to agree to disagree. This, this is Paul saying, Nope, I don't agree with you. In fact, if you think that, you can just go. And they choose that. They choose that route. They go their separate ways. Barnabas takes uh, John Mark and Paul finds a new crew, which we'll introduce in, in just a second. But this, this just serves as a reminder to us that these guys are human. Um, are they led by God? Absolutely. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was he inspired by God to write scripture and do this journey? 100%, yes, absolutely. But being led by God, being inspired by God, doesn't make you less human. It doesn't dissolve your humanity. And this should cause us maybe to think a little bit carefully about how we read scripture. Um, not everything in scripture is prescriptive. Some of it is just descriptive. Right? Prescriptive meaning like, hey, you should do this. Descriptive is, this is just what happened. Right? Like, we should not walk away from this passage and go, okay, I know what the Bible's teaching me. The lesson here is that if I'm in sharp disagreement with somebody, I should just like cut them out of my life and do what I want. It's in the Bible. Right? You're, I mean, some of us are kind of like, well, that's silly. But like we do that sometimes, right? We read a passage and we go, well, that's in the Bible. Look, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you're supposed to do it. In fact, there's some stuff in the Bible that's there specifically so you don't do it. So you go, ooh, that doesn't seem right. That seems weird. Right? That's a really bad way to read the Bible. Well, they, Paul did it, so Paul was human. He did some stuff that you and I shouldn't do. And this is one of them. Just because you have a disagreement with someone, try to work it. It's not just like, see ya. I'm out of here. We are so good at that these days, right? Cancel culture is kind of the buzz term that we use for it. But it's like, man, I don't really agree with you. You're out. You're done. My favorite is I'm seeing this all over social media right now where it's like, uh, if you don't agree with this, you can just unfriend me right now. It's like, I just want to unfriend you because that's crazy. Like, that's just not, that's just not healthy, Right? We can agree to disagree on some stuff and like still be in relationship to one another. That's called being an adult. The positive, the positive here is now you have two groups of people spreading the good news about Jesus. They split ways, but they also split the work. And this is such a God move, right? Aren't you glad that God's better and smarter than us? That he could take what the enemy meant for evil which is exactly what this is. Division in the church, division among Christians is one of Satan's greatest weapons to use against us. I really believe that. But even that, God says, oh, I could take that and I'm gonna flip it. And now I've got two groups of people spreading the good news about Jesus all over the world. It's pretty cool. So that's how Acts 15 ends. Now flip over to Acts 16, next chapter. Um, we're somewhere around AD 49-ish. 
And Paul now has a man named Silas riding shotgun, right? Barnabas has got kicked out. He, he didn't uh, pick a good enough road playlist or something. No, he, so we got, we got Silas in there and they're gonna actually pick up another guy named Timothy, right? Here's, here's what it says about him. Uh, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Excuse me, take a drink real quick. Okay, so... uh, they go back to the cities and the churches that they planted on the first time around, right? That's what they're doing here. And they're checking in, hey, how are you doing? Are you still uh, you know, following Christ? Is, are your, is your faith strong? Are the leaders that we appointed the last time we were here you know, shepherding you well? I mean, they're kind of just, just checking in. And they pick up this young man named Timothy. It says that he was well spoken of, right? So people like Timothy, um, highly regarded in that place, He's from the town. Uh, Pastor Kurt a couple weeks ago uh, preached about where they, they wanted to make Paul and Barnabas into gods. Do you remember that story? Uh, he's from there. Um, so he probably, you know, they probably met him the first time around. At this point, Paul's in his early 40s, maybe mid-40s. Timothy is most likely 18, 19, 20 at the most, somewhere in there, which that'll make sense, right? Because later... Uh, Paul writes two letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy. It's kind of a handbook for how to pastor, really. And he's trying to encourage him. And one of the things he says to Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Right? Don't let them look down on you because you're aged. But here's how, here's how you ought to lead. Here's how you need to grow and develop yourself. So Timothy is, is almost like a, a mentee or a protege of Paul. Okay, to put this in modern terms, Paul is Mr. Miyagi. Timothy is Daniel-san, right? Wax on. How many of you are gonna watch the Karate Kid this afternoon now? See, you're gonna eat a bomb pop and you're gonna watch Karate Kid. It's gonna be like 1992 or whatever. When did that movie come out? Was that 80s or 90s? See, I'm terrible. I don't even know. I know Bible dates, but I don't even know the 80s. It's just, it's what being a Bible nerd does to you. Um, Okay, but so they pick up Timothy, they got Silas, that's kind of their, their trio. And Paul, Paul does something here that on the surface seems hypocritical. It seems crazy. He has Timothy circumcised. Now, I want to apologize to all of you with young kids in the room. My son was running slides on the computer last week. We got home, Dad, you talked about circumcised a lot. What, what's that all about? Pull up a seat, bud. Let's have a little conversation. So sorry, parents. Uh, I don't have any tips for you. Good luck. Okay. Uh, but he, he has Timothy circumcised. Now, wait a minute. Because last week, verse, or chapter 15, the council specifically decided that you do not have to be circumcised to follow Jesus. That was, that was like the number one thing that they came to agreement on. And they sent a couple other things they need to do, but that was, that was the decision of the council. In fact, one of the things it says that these guys are doing is says they're traveling around to, to deliver the decision that was made in Jerusalem. So they're literally showing up these towns saying, guess what? You don't have to be circumcised if you want to follow Jesus. And all the guys are going, Woo, finally I'll come to church. But before they do that, Paul's like, hey, Timothy, something you need to do. What's up with that? Right, is Paul being a hypocrite? Is he, maybe he didn't agree with the decision in Jerusalem or something's changed his mind to make him think that this is now what needs to happen. Listen to the phrase in verse three. This this is the key phrase. It says, Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him, and here's the phrase, because of the Jews who lived in that area. 
Why does he do this? He does it because of the Jews. Other, the New Living Translation, which I really like, says uh, he does this in deference to the Jews. Okay, you gotta remember, what's Paul's usual strategy? He shows up in a new town. He finds out where the synagogue is, where the local Jews gather to worship and to learn. And he starts there first. He explains to them how what they're learning about, their scriptures, their Old Testament, points to Jesus as the Messiah they've been waiting for. That would have been an offensive and hard message to hear anyway. He doesn't need anything else that's gonna cause people to put a wall up and get their defenses up and not listen to what he has to say. So in deference to the Jews, he has Timothy circumcised. Now, Paul will argue to his death that this is not required for salvation. This is not about being in right standing with God. In fact, I think he would say, Timothy, you don't have to do this. You have the right to refuse. You have the freedom to say, I don't think so. (laughs) A lot of us would take that. But Paul says, if it's gonna prevent anyone from turning to Jesus. You you don't have to do this to turn to Jesus, but if you're not doing it, it's gonna cause someone else to not get to turn to Jesus, then maybe it's worth considering. And I I think in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, which Paul wrote to a town called Corinth, we're gonna get there in a couple weeks. I think Paul kind of opens up to us his philosophy of kind of how he thinks about this because it does feel a little kind of inconsistent. In 1 Corinthians nine, verse 19, And this is kind of jumbly, so I'll I'll try to make it simple. But he says, though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Paul's saying, he's talking about the Jews there, right? Because who, who is under the law? Uh, he, he's talking about the Jews. So he's essentially saying the same thing. Like, if that's what it took to win the Jews to Christ, I became as much like a Jew as I possibly could. In fact, he was Jewish. He was a Pharisee, remember? So I, I would follow the customs. I would do whatever it took to get a hearing among the Jews and help lead them to Jesus. And then now he's going to talk about another group, verse 21. To those not having the law, who's that? It's the Gentiles. That's you and me. Right? To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Same idea, just opposite group, right? Gentiles don't have to follow the Jewish law. Not all of them, they just, they just t- decided that in Acts 15. But he says, it, I'm going to become as much like them as I can if that helps me win them to Christ. And here's how he sums it up. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this, he says, for the sake of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Okay, so Paul was so consumed with wanting everyone to have an opportunity to hear about Jesus, to experience what he had experienced in his own life. He says, I will do everything short of sin to reach them. And I think Paul's thinking, if I could get inside his head for a minute, which is always a bit of a dangerous exercise, but I think, I think the way he approached it was, what does this person right here in front of me, what do they need me to be? What do they need to hear from me? in order for this bigger thing to happen in their life. Even if that makes these people over here mad at me because they think I'm being inconsistent or, or they're gonna say bad things about me that aren't even true. Like one of the, one of the rumors was that Paul didn't care about the law, that he, was complete, that he was telling Jews they didn't have to follow it. That's not what it says in that passage. But you know what? I'm gonna risk being misunderstood. I'm gonna risk being called inconsistent. They can get mad at me if they want. I'll even do something that I don't believe is necessary like circumcision because sometimes that's what love requires of me. That's what the love of Christ compels me to do for this person right here in front of me. 
Whatever comes of my reputation, I don't care. And so I don't know if, I, I would like to think he asked, <laughs> but he, he has Timothy circumcised. And, he, and here's, here's the big takeaway for me, because at the end of the day, personal liberty mattered to Paul, but the gospel mattered more. Okay, there are lots of places in the New Testament where Paul talks about the freedom that you and I have in Christ, apart from the law and those kinds of things. He even said in that passage, though I am free and belong to no one, I made myself a slave. There are things that you and I have freedom in in Christ. And those are amazing things. But the gospel mattered more to Paul. And I think there's a lot for us to chew on here, particularly July 4th weekend. And I didn't plan this. God is smarter than me. <laughs> it just happens to land on July 4th weekend, okay? I love this country. Please hear me. I found as much red, white, and blue as I possibly own today, all right? This is all I got for you. I am so grateful for the privileges and the, the security and the freedoms, the personal liberties that you and I own that so many people have sacrificed for that that so many other people were not born into, right? You and I won the birth lottery. I hope you understand that. You didn't get to pick what country you were born into. And I'm grateful that for some reason and God and his wisdom chose that I get to wake up in this one. But there's been a lot of conversations right now about rights, uh, particularly with the Constitution, what rights we are afforded and, and not by the Constitution. And I mean, I think that's a great conversation to have as long as it's actually a conversation and not just like a keyboard shouting match, right? Uh, I, think, I think that's worth our time and our energy. But the way, the way democracy is set up to work best, in fact, I would say the only way our democracy continues to work is if in the one hand we have these rights, right? These individual liberties, these rights. And then on the other hand, a healthy dose of responsibilities, right? We have rights and responsibilities. This is the way the early founders of our country talked about it and lots of historians talk about it, that, that democracy has both rights and responsibilities that have to work together hand in hand. And if I can be so bold, I, I think what we're seeing and part of why our nation is, is let's just say, struggling uh, is because somewhere that balance has gotten kind of out of whack. And we've become hyper-focused in, I would say, the last 30 or 40 years on individual rights. Well, I can do that, and then I, right, this is my right, and blah, 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 blah. And it's all about rights. And I don't hear as much conversation about responsibilities, like, because you have that right, I am responsible to steward it well for the sake of the common good of our nation. And a lot of us don't even have a picture, maybe, of like, what does that even look like? I mean, I know the rights and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, but what does it look like to steward those? What does the common good even mean? What does it look like for a whole nation to flourish together? And what happens is when you only care about rights, that's when you get all the like, blah, 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 and you're just yelling back and forth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul, Paul is talking again into this matter of personal liberty because he's talking about meat sacrificed to idols and how really it's not that big of a deal because idols aren't real. And, and it's kind of similar to the circumcision conversation. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here's what Paul says. And he's, he's quoting what the people are saying and then he gives his rebuttal. Right, so here's what the people are saying. I have the right to do anything. Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. And then here they go again. But yeah, but I have the right to do anything. This is what it says. Paul said, yeah, but not everything is constructive. And he says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of, what does it say? Others. So somehow, even in exercising my liberties and the freedom that I have in Christ, I need to always keep in mind that those rights come with responsibilities, both to God and to one another. And how I exercise them always has to keep that in mind. 
Okay, Timothy doesn't have to be circumcised. This is not about salvation. This is not required whatsoever by God. He would have the freedom to say, I have the right not to do that. But Timothy submits to it because he knows there's a bigger prize than his own individual rights to be gained. The prize is the gospel to come alive in other people's hearts. He goes, man, that's worth it. I will lay aside my right, my freedom, and I'll do that. That's pretty big. And I don't know what that means for you and me, and I wouldn't even begin to unpack that. Well, this issue and this issue. I just feel like, man, there's something in there for us as Christians to hold on to right now and to just really sit with and think about. Okay, last chapter, James says, we shouldn't make it hard for Gentiles who want to turn to God. That was Acts 15. Here, this is kind of the other side of the coin. We shouldn't make it hard for Jews either. And that, you not being circumcised, that's gonna make it really hard for us to go into these synagogues. Okay, so that's, that's the issue there. Acts 16, six through 10, I'm just gonna read this really quickly. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. If you just read really quick when you get to sections like this, people go, that's probably how you pronounce it right? I just, just approach it from a guy who does this occasionally, okay? They get to all these places. <laughs> and listen to this in verse 7. This is interesting. But the Spirit of Jesus will not allow them to. That might be something you want to underline, circle this week, and go, I'm going to dive deeper into that phrase. The Spirit of Jesus, that's interesting. And why would the Spirit not allow Paul to preach somewhere? That's weird. I'm just going to leave that there for you to do some deeper diving, Okay. Verse eight, they, uh, they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing there and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Um, notice the word we that just jumped in the chat there in verse 10. Uh, so something just happened there. It's been all second person. They went here and they went there. And all of a sudden you hear a we. Uh, so Luke, the author of this book, is apparently traveling with them. And he's kind of stayed in the background this whole time. And he just inserted himself into the story. Um, no map quest, right? You remember map quest? That was awesome. No atlas, for those of you who ever use one of those. I never did, but they're terrible. Uh, no GPS, no, no Apple Maps. They, they, are, they are traveling on the fuel of the Holy Spirit, right? Go here, nope, don't go there, go here, nope. And if you look at the map, it's like, whoa, what is going on here? It, it reminds me um, of the Old Testament where Israel is wandering through the desert and the only navigation system they have, if you remember, is this pillar of fire. That's kind of what's happening here. Paul and Timothy and Luke are just going wherever they're told to go next, kind of weaving around. Some scholars even say that you should call this book, instead of calling it the Acts of the Apostles, which a lot of our Bibles will call it, we should be calling it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is infused in everything that's happening. And I would, I would affirm that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's pull up a map though, because we just went through a bunch of cities. So here's our second journey Remember, we started down in Jerusalem in Acts 15, and they went up to Antioch, which is home base, Tarsus, which is Paul's uh, home city, and then they go back through all of the towns that they visited the first time, Derbe, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, keep going. Then they decide, okay, now we're really going to push west, right? We're going to move out here. And so they go all the way through Asia, over up into Philippi is where we're going to get in a minute. And um, this is important because this, this is like modern day Greece, just south of Bulgaria. And Philippi is a major city. It was known as Little Rome. So this is kind of a change of direction because up until now, it's been mostly rural, like small communities. And now we're gonna change strategy. Philippi uh, was founded by King Philip II. And you might go, well, I don't, I don't really know who that is. Uh, King Philip's father was Alexander the Great. Remember that guy? You're like, nope, I didn't pay attention that day in school. <laughs> he was a big deal, <laughs> right? He conquered like most of the known world. Um, and, and so that, that was who founded this. It's along a major trade route. So very important economic hub. 
Uh, lots of military that live there from Rome. That's why it's called Little Rome. It's one of the most preserved sites even today. If you went to Philippi today, you would be able to see that there was a big theater there at one point and uh, a temple, uh, lots of military barracks and government buildings and all this kind of stuff. One thing you won't find are the ruins of a synagogue. There wasn't one. When Paul shows up, there is no synagogue. That's how far now they've, they've kind of left Israel's area, and now they're stretching into Gentile territory. Well, that was Paul's first move, was always to go to the synagogue. So they've got to switch it up here. They've got to go somewhere else to start their mission at that city. And that's what happens starting in verse 13. It says, on the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. So there's no synagogue, but apparently as they've talked to people in the market or whatever, they've gotten a lead on the fact, ah, there's actually these people like you that meet out there, outside the city. And so they go and they find that place. So we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Right, so she's one of those God-fearers we talked about a couple weeks ago. She's not Jewish, but she's really interested and she wants to be, essentially. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And so when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So they go to this local prayer gathering of people who, again, they're not Jewish, but they're very interested probably in the monotheism and in the morals of Judaism. Like they see some really attractive things about Judaism. And so they're gathering and they're praying, they're talking about these things. And they meet Lydia, who's really interesting. Lydia must be the head of her household, which would have been like kind of different back then. Uh, She's running her own business, She's a dealer in purple cloth, which means she's got access to this purple dye that was really expensive. So probably fairly wealthy. Um, And the fact that later we find out she has her whole house baptized means, you know, again, she's the head of the house, which is interesting. So either she is a widow, uh, maybe she's been divorced. We, We just don't really know. But she's got a large home and her own business. And what you and I may not understand is how countercultural this scene is. All right, for in, the, in the first century, again, we're around AD 49, for any man, but particularly a Jewish man, to just walk up to a group of women and start a spiritual conversation would have been unheard of. That, that would have broke so many taboos and, and cultural no-nos that you just like didn't do. So many walls and stereotypes that they're overcoming by, by having this conversation. And you're like, well, how, what is it that makes Paul able to do that? And the reality is, is from the very beginning, women were included and played a huge role in early Christianity. Right? In fact, and, and guys, this kind of stings a little bit. I don't really like this, but... It was a woman who was the first evangelist and missionary. You know when it happened? When Jesus rose from the tomb and nobody was expecting it, even though Jesus had told a bunch of knucklehead guys forever. And a woman goes to the tomb and sees that it's empty and runs back and tells all the guys. And what do the guys think? Whatever. Can't trust the witness of a woman in the first century. So they have to run to the tomb to find out, oh man, she was right. (laughs) God, they're always right. They're always right. And here's Paul. He's reaching out to Lydia and these other ladies, sharing all of that with them, right? Sharing the gospel. And I've probably stepped on enough toes, but if you've got any left, let's see what we can do here. Um, I'm seeing a lot of, here's why I'm sharing this, okay? The narrative I'm seeing online in particular right now, but for a, long, for a number of years now, I've heard this critique that Christianity is repressive or demeaning to women. 
Um, maybe you've heard that critique. Maybe you've even used that as a critique. And that's fair. Um, but yeah, Christianity is inherently anti-women, okay? Um, I've heard it a lot, especially the last couple of weeks, and you can guess why. And I, I understand where that's coming from, and I want to be sensitive to that argument, and particularly the emotions, I think, that are mostly wrapped up in that argument. I, I get that. But the record of history actually shows quite the opposite, that everywhere Christianity spread, the well-being of women has been elevated. And it started in the first century, and it's continued on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, in, in Paul's day, the Greco-Roman world was up to, they think, two-thirds men, right? Just a bunch of dudes running around together, right? And the reason, the reason why the Greco-Roman world was two-thirds men was, number one, because of a high maternal death rate uh, in childbirth. The second reason is because they let their little baby girls out to die, when they had little baby girls, a lot of them would be set in trash cans and off to the side of the road or left in the dumps because they weren't seen as valuable as men. And guess who came along and scooped them up and took care of them? Jesus followers. So in contrast, the early Christian church was two-thirds women. One of those is a better deal for guys, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> In fact, outsiders, right? People who looked at Christians, they would actually ridicule the early church as a, as a chick religion. They didn't use that term, but they, they would say, ah, this is a bunch of women religion, you know, that Christian stuff. It was actually an insult because so many of the people turning to Jesus were women. Why would they do that? They did that because Christianity placed a higher value on their life than all the other belief systems that were around them in the first and second century. Women wanted to be a part of the Jesus movement. In fact, it was Christianity that taught that women were equally made in the image of God, equally called to his service, and equally deserving of love and sacrifice. That was unique. It was Christianity that called men to be monogamous and prioritize their wives when no one else in the Greco-Roman world thought that was true. Guys can sleep with whoever they want and do whatever they want, and Jesus' followers went, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not fair. Christians taught that. Women were allowed to learn alongside men. You know, to, to this day, in some countries, that's really radical. In fact, one of the gifts Christianity has given to some places, particularly in Africa and Muslim countries, is when Christianity comes in and starts spreading and changing the culture and the values of the culture, women are then begin, uh, being allowed to go to school for the first time. The main role of women in Greek religion was prostitution. The role of women in the Jesus movement was praying and prophesying. Which one of those are you going to pick? Even in today, right, like modern times, let's, let's go to the 20th century, for example. Do you know the first wave of what we call feminism, the first wave of fem, feminist movement was driven by the church, was driven by Christian women who believed that, that women should have equal rights under, because they were equally valued by God? that the right to vote, some of the loudest voices for the right to vote were from Wesleyans, the denomination you're sitting in today. Things like women's rights and women's rights, but even abolition, which when we look back at it was kind of an object failure, but the reason why Wesleyans were against the drinking of alcohol wasn't necessarily because of alcohol, it was because men were going out and getting drunk and coming home and beating their wives and spending all their family's money. So Wesleyans went, man, that's not fair to those kids and those women. We need to get rid of this stuff. That's our history. That is the history of our denomination. So when I see these posts online about, oh, Christians don't really care about women. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm just, I don't know if I'm even talking to anybody in this room. Maybe I'm just equipping you. I don't really know, but maybe I'm talking to someone online. Like, it's just, this, the, the actual history shows that everywhere Christianity has spread, the, the status of women has actually gone up and been elevated. Even the tricky passages in the Bible that sound kind of like, ooh, uh, that's, that's oppressive, right? Like, um, how about, this is my favorite one to quote at my wife sometime, like, um, <clears throat> I'm just, no, I'm just, 
<laughs> Just don't you dare. But there's passages like, uh, ladies, you need, to, you need to be quiet and learned submission. You like that one, Julie? That one's for you. Right? Um, there's the Old Testament rule, lady. If your husband would die, you have no say in the matter. You must marry your brother-in-law, his brother. Isn't that fun? That's great. Let's sign that one back up. Let's bring that back. Right? And so what happens is you and I, we read these and we say, oh my gosh, how backwards, how barbaric, how ancient, you know, and repressive or oppressive this is as a woman. The, the reality is what happens is, is those verses are actually more progressive. I hate that term, but they're more progressive than what you and I realize. Because you and I, we read the Bible through 21st century Western liberal democracy eyes. And, and they don't. They read it through ancient first century Mideastern eyes. So for instance, the verse that says, ladies, you must be quiet and learn in submission. You and I hear the be quiet. And we're like, see if you can get me to shut up. You know what word they would have thought? They thought, wait, wait a minute. You're saying women can learn? That's new. I didn't think women were allowed to learn. You see the difference? That, we do that all the time with the Bible, particularly on, on hot button topics that we like to talk about today. And we try to read those back into the text and we completely miss the original context and understanding. Now, that is not to say, and I will admit this to you watching online, everybody, that is not to say that Christian institutions and individuals um, haven't misused the Christian faith in misogynistic and demeaning ways, because it's happened. And um, I'm sorry about that. But it's not because of Jesus or the Bible, it's because we're sinful people who misuse Jesus and the Bible for our own selfish gain. Christianity is as pro-women as any religion in the world. And I just hope you know that. And, and if you see that stuff or you hear, I mean, the last thing you should do is type anything out on Facebook, honestly. That's just never gonna get you anywhere. But if you can have a conversation and just help people see the record of history, it's just, it's so wrong. It's so backwards, right? Paul and his companions, they, they completely break taboo here um, they speak to these women and it says Lydia's heart is opened, right? God opens her heart. And that was, the, that was Peter's testimony, right? In Acts 15, Peter says, uh, you know, that he saw that happen too, that he's seen God open the hearts of even Gentiles, he says. And now the same thing is happening for Lydia. She's hearing the message. God is, is in his grace, is opening her up to the message and she's responding to that. And then she, she and her whole family are baptized. Um, that, that's the order, right? Paul comes into the town, preaches this great message. Here's what God has done through Jesus, not just for you, but for the whole world. And if you believe this, um, you should be baptized, right? Because that, that was what Jesus told them to do. Go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Paul does that, and he, he baptized people. And, and baptism becomes the, the symbol of the new covenant with God, this relationship with God. In the old covenant, that symbol was what? You don't want to say it. Circumcision, right? Circumcision. Which, by the way, women... <laughs> couldn't complete, right? Now it's baptism. As Jesus was baptized, now we are baptized as a symbol of the new life, the, the fresh start, the washing that God has done in our life. We, we put our faith in Jesus and then men, women, children, anybody who's put their faith in him can express that through baptism. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna kind of close somewhat abruptly this morning. I know you guys are ready for your, your hot dogs and all that kind of stuff, but uh, this is as good a time as any to talk about baptism and kind of our next opportunity to do that. So just to put it on your radar, uh, August the 14th, we have what we call the Sunday in the Park, just right down the road here at Porter Boone, if you're new and haven't been there before. But we, we set up outside, it's one service at 10 o'clock and the whole church comes together and our band's out there and we have dinner to, or lunch together and all those things. Um, but the highlight of that service is baptism. And every year we have several people uh, just briefly share 
what God means to them and how they put their faith in him and what God's done in their life. And then they go through the public act of baptism and we, we cheer and it's just, it's just an incredible time. Um, if your heart has been open to faith in Jesus, right, you would say, I believe he is who he said he was and I believe what he did on the cross he did for me. And God has opened your heart, just like with Lydia, to that message. Your next step is baptism, is to publicly declare your allegiance to him and say, I am on team Jesus. <laughs> I, am, I am a child of God through him. Um, and, and I know we've got several people who are like right on, right there. Like that's where you're at, right? You believe you have faith, but you haven't taken that step of baptism. And I wanna encourage you to do that this August. There's no better time than now. Um, you could sign up at omsel.church slash baptism. Again, if you've got that app, there's a baptism button you can click on. Um, you could just hang out after service and, and grab a hot dog and a, and a popsicle or whatever and just, just talk. Talk to me, talk to any of our pastors about it. Um, I, I would love to have a conversation with you about this because again, I know we have several people who like, that's, that's you, right? This August is your day to, to declare that you are with Jesus. And um, I wanna make sure that enough people have an opportunity to do that, okay? Well, let me pray for us and then pray for our lunch and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, just as you led Paul and, and uh, Silas and these men by your Holy Spirit, God, you are leading our church, you're leading us, we believe that. Uh, and um, God, even, even with some harder truth maybe to hear today, I, I pray, pray that it would get down into our hearts that we would be open to your voice this morning. Um, whatever it is that you wanna put your finger on in our life, Lord, I pray that you would both encourage and challenge uh, it's always both of those when we read your word. There'd be some stuff we'd leave here today and just go, wow, that was so true and good and I just needed to hear that. That's inspiring. And then there'd be some other stuff that we'd say, but there's some other things I need to work on or there's, there's some freedoms maybe that I need to steward better or I need to be more about responsibilities and not just write. Whatever it is, Lord, would you just put your finger on those things by your Holy Spirit and help us become the people of your church, Lord, that you want us to be. And we pray this in your son's name, amen.